This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show uh, here. Thank you so much for staying here with me. And uh, if you dare to uh, carry on with some of the subjects that we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about Andrew's favorite subject, the seven most favorite sexual fantasies. I get a lot of flack for my suggestion that fantasy is critical, especially in the long-term relationship. People are like, it automatically leads to cheating. Well, we're going to be talking about micro-cheating, and that's had a lot of traction on Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, Twitter today. For me, anyway, I was busy fielding all of those calls. We're going to be talking about uh, diets as well, intermittent fasting. More, more people that I know are doing this whole intermittent fasting thing. I can't do it because I'm actually starving, and I, ha- I have to eat like five times a day and and that's it so there's no fasting for me maybe when I'm sleeping I can do it then and that's about it Um, so we have lots of subjects coming up on this uh, program if you have any on this hour of the program if you have any questions at all for me don't hesitate to call me 1-877-399-9898 so I'd love to hear from you love to chat with you of course um, because um, it's always better to have a two-way conversation. It's always better back and forth. It's, it's, it really can't be one person. It has to be uh, communication. You can't kind of try and control everything yourselves. Um, so that's why I do love to hear from you. Um, also, we're talking about whether you should smoke a bone before, no, have a joint. <laughs> Smoke pot before your workout. What do you think? Uh, do you do that? Let me know if you do. And sexual harassment, it's got to go away. I can't take it anymore. Um, I face it fairly frequently. You can imagine. <laughs> uh, you have no idea what the messages that I receive online and um, and not to mention in my everyday work day. I'm just like, you know, guys, you got to... You got You can't even. You can't help yourselves. I mean, I know. I get it. You've been socialized that way. You think it's okay. It doesn't matter how old you are, but it's not okay. Um, but anyway, it's. Uh, it, it can actually be very damaging. And also, uh, I just want to mention about post, since we're talking about having babies before, um, you know, postpartum depression is very real and anger is one of the hallmark symptoms and it's almost an, an overlooked feature of postnatal mood disorders. So if that's something, if you've just had a new baby and uh, the person, and, and, and men actually can get, um, uh, or co-parents can get uh, postnatal depression as well. So if anger, and anger is tough to live with, you know, you're, if you're on the receiving end of somebody's anger, which uh, may seem inappropriate, that can be really tough. It can go on for years. You know, some, uh, some women have untreated postpartum depression for a long time. Um, we talked about ADHD. Uh, maybe you're thinking that I'm having a little scatterbrain moment tonight. <laughs> But no, I am not. We are going to get back to the fantasies because I didn't want you to have to wait that long. I um, and and Andrew is chomping at the bit here. But fantasies are completely normal and healthy. It's it's a part of your sexuality, and a lot of people might still think there's taboo around fantasies. But the truth is, is that they are healthy. Whether you are on your own, and we've been talking about that tonight, or, and you know, and, and you may be with a partner, but you may be on your own sometimes and, and having a fantasy, if you get what I'm saying. Um, so, and it's also extremely healthy for couples to have fantasies. And if you share those fantasies with your partner, you 
may, in fact, create another level of intimacy and closeness. And you know what? You can become more comfortable with your partner. It can improve communication. You're not necessarily going to play out these fantasies in real life, and that's okay. But it's important to share what you already enjoy about your sexual relationship together when you do talk about the fantasies that you enjoy together. And who knows, you may actually share the same fantasy. How about that, huh? Um, But uh, what are some of the most common fantasies of of people? And so there was a uh, survey done by Dr. Leigh Miller. He's a Uh, social media guru. He's on Twitter quite a bit. He's a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. And he looked into what fantasies are brewing in most of our thoughts. And he surveyed over 4,000 Americans. So if you thought Americans didn't fantasize, you are wrong. He asked them close to 400 questions about their personalities, their sexual histories, and all about their fantasies. It covered ages 18, get this, 18 to yes, 87. And they also, he also covered a large range of races, religions, and socioeconomic backgrounds. There are things that, these are the ties that bind. And 97% of those who replied said that they had sexual fantasies. So really, you're in good company, okay? This is okay. I get a lot of flack. I get flack on social media. I get flack in emails, sometimes in my uh, clinical practice when, you know, if I suggest or on that TEDx talk that I did, you know, people are like, fantasy leads to cheating. And it, it, there's no evidence to support that. All I'm saying is that fantasy is important, helpful, good, fun. Uh, and there were massive variations, according to this study by Dr. Leigh Miller, found that many of them fell into seven major character char- categories, um, but there were three more prominent ones. And so the three major categories, and most people think about them from time to time, and this should be as no surprise, come as no surprise to you, multi-partner sex, of course, threesomes, orgies. A lot of the people who were surveyed were imagining what life would be like if it took more than two to tango. Um, And so that seems to be, and uh, I would say from my extremely limited research, yes, threesomes are on the mind of many, in particular, men out there. I'm not going to tell you how I know that, but um, nonetheless, heard it before. Uh, and so that's a very popular uh, fantasy, but also uh, it's, a, it's a frequent invitation for a lot of, of people. Um, anyway, also the next category is controlled slash rough sex. So a lot of people um, think about rough sex. In fact, the number one fantasy for women is to be lightly tied up. And so this category, which is control rough sex, includes everything from light bondage, so it would be lightly tied up, to full-on S&M. Then the third category is novelty, adventure, and variety. And so that's mixing things up. We'll definitely have some appeal to a lot of people, whether it could be having sex somewhere new. So forget the bedroom. I know my websites get back to, it's back to the bedroom. But you know what? Sometimes you don't want to get back to the bedroom. You want to go somewhere else, outside, uh, in a bathroom, in a restaurant, or in a hotel room, or in your car, uh, in a park. 
also trying new positions. Um, and so this is also uh, something people fantasize about or, or bringing toys into the relationship. And I may only suggest <laughs> the one toy. The Womanizer, you've heard it before here on the Sunday Night Health Show. Um, And also, you may be uh, fantasizing about a new partner. And there were some other categories. Those were the ones that were most on the survey, the people who answered the survey's mind. But there were some other categories that were also really popular. And they're taboo and forbidden sex. And this includes voyeurism and exhibitionism, as well as fetishes. And uh, so nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with thinking about any of these things. Acting on certain fetishes is fine, as long as you're not imposing on somebody else's life. Uh, Exhibitionism will get you into trouble, as will voyeurism. But these are certainly things you can think about. Non-monogamy is uh, certain that a lot of people are fantasizing about. And we're actually seeing... Um, this play out in polyamorous relationships and and other ways people are defining their relationships today. And of course, both men and women sometimes fantasize about the more emotional aspects of sex, and that's feeling loved, content, and appreciated. And that's you know something men you know really uh, get a bum rap on is that they you know a lot of people feel that. Intimacy doesn't matter to them, but it matters so much to men. And men want to feel accepted and connected and and loved and appreciated. And all that is so important. But the way we socialize men, it's like, you're to be the man, man up. And, you know, and then you... you uh, oftentimes can see that, you know, they're, they're emotional or, you know, they, they may give off this bravado and then, you know, you may actually catch them off guard and they're like, not so brave after all. <laughs> um, also, erotic flexibility is another um, uh, fantasy that uh, people think about. And this includes same-sex eroticism, as in people who, who don't already identify as uh, queer or gender bending in in any other way. Um, And so even, you know, women, straight women love lesbian porn. So you may not be surprised by this particular category. But you know what, if you want to engage in fantasy and want to, you know, take it out of your head, perhaps, uh, you know, starts with talking about it, take it slow. It's always good when it's slow. Um, But take it out of your head and, you know, have a conversation, talk about it, you know, gauge the level of comfort that your partner has with it. Uh, You know, be curious about what fantasies your partner has. But whatever your fantasy is, you can certainly ease your way into it. And you know what? I bet there's something that your partner would like to try as well. When I come back, we're going to be talking about micro-cheating. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We've got a really hot topic coming up right now. Uh, and how do I know it's a hot topic? Because I posted it on LinkedIn, I posted it on Facebook, and I am still receiving messages, notifications, uh, comments about micro-cheating. This happens when you create small opportunities for affectionate behaviors that fall outside of your relationship. Some of the clues you're paddling in the shallows of danger include dressing differently when you know you're going to be seeing a certain person, withholding information from your significant other, 
uh, things like who you're hanging out with or during or during work or during after work drinks or, or just lying by omission. Is social media putting your relationship at risk? Do you creep attractive men or women online? What about those old loves? Do you follow them on Facebook? Do you check out their LinkedIn profile to see their latest connection? Do you then connect with their connections? Are you flirty and playful in cyberspace with someone outside of your relationship? Do you give likes, hearts, or send sex to somebody that you may or may not know? You may be micro-cheating, and it's not limited to your online communique. As I said, if you dress a little better, do you ensure attendance at after-work drinks because you know a certain someone will be there? Do you take a different route in hopes of running into an attractive someone? Are these gray areas? Micro-cheating is the younger sibling of the emotional affair, which is considered by many to be even more dangerous than a full-blown sexual affair because sexual affairs are about the sex. Emotional affairs are about the connection with somebody else. You've gone outside of your relationship. You're telling your problems to somebody else. And so I've had lots of comments about this on Facebook, which I'm going to review. But first, I'm going to talk to Amy, who is on the line. Hello, Amy. Hello, Maureen. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I loved reading about what you were saying about micro-cheating. It is such a great topic. Um, And I say that our sexual energy is what keeps most people feeling alive and delicious. It's our right and your responsibility to take care of it, sort of like your own nutrition. I wish <laughs> and I when said that, that sexual energy starts to distract someone from fostering their real authentic connection or their goals or their integrity, and that's when the boundaries and that balance starts to cheat the energy from their relationship in their own life. So do you think the problem begins in their relationship in their own life? And then that's what, if they see somebody or somebody pays attention to them outside of their relationship, even whether it's online? I think it's, it's normal to want attention from people and to feel connected and alive and delicious wherever we go. I think the goal is to feel secure enough in your own relationship that you can say to your partner, my God, you're so hot and sexy. Go be fabulous all day long. But what if somebody starts to send sex to somebody else or starts to pay a little bit of attention or tries or is, you know, is caught looking at somebody's profile by their spouse or their husband or their wife? When the sexual energy distracts from their relationship, then it can become a problem. Because sometimes it's like when you find yourself, you know, with that couple of texts or you had a little flirt at the office, it can enhance their relationship. It certainly can. It certainly can. But it also can be incredibly hurtful. And that's what I heard from a lot of people online. Uh, Jen said, I have definitely had experience with this. I wasn't the one doing the cheating. Uh, You know, it can be heartbreaking for some some people. Um, Betrayal. The huge betrayal for some people. And some people may do it to spark the relationship back at home as well and and think that they're not actually treading in dark waters but they may very well be um i've also have a theory that sometimes men don't know how to bring up i want more intimacy or sex or blindfolds and (laughs) so the only way they can bring it up is to blow up their relationship to get caught and so you're saying that some men are doing this on purpose Some men uh, need to get caught in order to change things up in their own relationship because they don't know how to discuss these things. 
I hope to be able to help people discuss those things better. But. I- I had a note from somebody. Um, She said, excellent topic, Maureen. I'm sure there are very different views and opinions about this topic. What is most heartbreaking about this at all is that it shouldn't even be a discussion. Our unconditional, committed relationships have become something that is more like a Starbucks menu. Choose what you want. Everyone wants something different that suits them when it suits them. This topic describes what is definitely infidelity. If you wouldn't say things to someone's face or behave with a person right in front of your spouse, then it's inappropriate and wrong, period. The bottom line is that trust is broken. I hope you discuss things like hidden secret messaging, invisible ink, and all the ways people cover up their okay behavior. And so that doesn't sound like somebody is... um, that doesn't, energizing their life. It doesn't sound like they're energizing their life. It right. doesn't actually sound like they right. are and wanting to do that's this. that's the thing. When people start to get to feeling like they're keeping secrets, that's draining their life. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so it's draining their life, it's draining their relationship. But they can't so, see that. The, the, you know, the last person to, to know some of these things is often the person themselves, right? That, yeah. that they may be having troubles. But, but the point of the matter is micro-cheating is a big risk. Um, yeah. it's, it's going on, it's very common, it's going to get worse and worse, especially as social media, um, especially as social media, you know, is... in infiltrates our life even more and more and it has done so at breakneck speed the last uh, several years so many people said right on timely topic uh, huge area for discussion this needs to be dissected this needs to be understood people are using things like burner apps um, invisible writing um, you know phone secret phones and and all sorts of different things to to get away with this type of behavior have you experienced micro cheating in your life has it been a problem for you give me a call the number to call is 1-877-399-9898 or you can always email me to tell me your story in confidence nurse talk at hotmail.com i am maureen mcgrath you are listening to the sunday night health show welcome back to the sunday night health show maureen mcgrath hosting the final strokes of the program here i want to continue on with this subject because there were so many people who emailed me with this micro cheating with just a few more things um, about it uh it it can be extremely hurtful it can be a segue to an extramarital affair or extra relational affair a lot of people might think it's just harmless fun but and it can be to an extent and and every relationship has their own threshold um or or line that uh, needs to be broken in order for it to constitute cheating. But when you're micro-cheating, that actually demonstrates that you're thinking about the attention of somebody other than your spouse or your partner. And that may signal a red flag for your relationship. So there may be, it's often easier for us to kind of go outside of our relationship in our minds um, and and even fantasize um, about other people and then, you know, move on to other activities such as um, following them or messaging them on Facebook or or LinkedIn or or Twitter uh, um, or Instagram. Um, But you want to always consider the motivation behind Um, you know, you're dressing a little bit sexier or or a little bit better or um, getting a whole new selection of lingerie. Um, I actually had a patient in my clinical practice recently who the um, partner had noticed that 
she had, he had noticed, and I'm actually seeing a huge influx of women who are, women in my clinical practice who are having extramarital affairs, but uh, I digress. Um, but he had actually noticed all of these things. She had lost weight. She had bought some new lingerie. Um, she was late coming home from work. And, you know, there were a lot of uh, signs that, that perhaps she was having an extramarital affair. And so he was curious if this um, could be, you know, signal that things uh, were not as good in the relationship as he perceived them to be. Um, so you want to just make sure, you know, um, that if you do have issues in your relationship that and you do find yourself micro-cheating, that you are, um, you know, seeking the attention of somebody that you might work with or or online. It's really easy. It's so easy to be somebody that you're not or, you know, it's, it's easy to, um, you know, be that... Uh, you be sexier, say things, you know, uh, it's just so much easier to write it and um, then say it uh, to somebody's face. And, you know, maybe what if they contacted you? You might actually freak out and uh, and actually um, be nervous. And, and so you're, you're not that confident um, self that you can be online. But micro-cheating is unequivocally, most definitely, an absolute no-no if you have a past with the person that you're micro-cheating with. If you've ever had sex with that person or if you've ever been in a relationship with them, I think it's safe to say this um, would be very dangerous. You are really treading in um, dark, deep waters and you do not want to go there. Um, And, you know, what if you think your partner is uh, engaging in a little micro-cheating of their own, you know, the clues may be hard to find. But if you have a gut feeling, then, you know, it's, it's always best to have a conversation with that person as opposed to checking up on them. So you don't want to be, um, you know, this, give me your password. I want your passwords to your phone and your passwords. Typically, guys, don't you don't really password your stuff anyway, <laughs> is what I've learned um, from you. But, you know, what, having an honest conversation is always better because it's really going to, you know, you have to build up the trust again, especially if you've caught them uh, micro-cheating or cheating. So that's something that has to be built up. I'm not, I'm not one that um, feels that you have license to look at your, your partner's um, communications or, um, you know, whatever, their connections or their messages on, on Facebook because certain things can be taken out of context. And, uh, but a candid chat about the issue of micro-cheating uh, may help to resurrect the floundering relationship. And you know, want to know something? There's likely issues in your relationship, 99.9%, because nothing's 100%. But there are probably, if somebody is looking outside of that relationship, seeking pleasure outside of relationship, there's probably problems within. And the best thing to do is to put those problems on the table um, and, and to deal with them. So um, that's my take on micro-cheating. So let's get down to some massive weight loss. <laughs> a lot of people are losing a lot of weight through this intermittent fasting. And, and I couldn't do it, uh, but I could perhaps do it this way. Um, there was a small study that was done out of the University of Alabama um, and also uh, about a particular type of intermittent fasting. So what happens is people, you know, they eat. I've met many people, you know, at conferences, uh, you know, friends, and they're just like, you know, oh, you've lost 20 pounds, whatever. And they're like, yeah, I, I do intermittent fasting. And so they, they might eat for a whole day and then they don't eat for 16 hours. And it's just like, I mean, I would lose it. <laughs> I can't do that. Like I, 
And no, anyway, just not for me, but I could maybe do it this way. And it's a form of intermittent fasting called early time restricted feeding. And that's where all meals are fit into an early eight hour period of the day. So eat from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. or spread it out over 12 hours. So you eat between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And then I guess you go to bed at like nine or 10. And then you, you know, so you're like 13, 14 hours where you're not eating anything. So I could probably do that. I'd probably do that now. Um, And so when this was studied, both groups maintained their weight, so they didn't gain or they didn't lose. But after five weeks, the eight hours group had dramatically lower insulin levels, significantly improved insulin sensitivity, as well as significantly lower blood pressure. And also, these people weren't starving. So I I would say go with what uh, the experts from uh, Massachusetts General Hospital Diabetes Center, Dr. Deborah Wexler, recommends, and this is what she recommends. This is what she has certainly seen in um, some of her work. So that might be the way to do that. If you want to lose a little bit of weight, perhaps you can just eat your meals between 7 and 3 p.m. Apparently, these people are eating whatever they want, uh, uh, but then they do adhere to a, a healthy diet um, for 60, 70, 80% of the time. So it's not like they're depriving themselves of anything. So that's good. So I wanted to tell you uh, just a little story here about um, health care, my experience as a nurse in the intensive care unit. Um, I saw the story. Andrew, did you? see this one, the story where the woman was found to be alive in the morgue in South Africa? That sounds like something out of a horror movie. It does. It sounds like something out of a horror movie, but I just thought I'd share my little experience with this. Don't tell me you found somebody alive in the morgue. This does happen, okay? Not exactly, but I have a morgue story. I'm going to have to save that for next week. Oh my gosh, (laughs) I want an entire segment on morgue stories. Okay, I can give you an entire segment. That's something that I didn't know I wanted until right now. (laughs) Exactly. Let's save the morgue stories for next week (laughs) because those were unbelievable. (laughs) Anyway, um, but the intensive care unit story, because you think, how can that happen? and somebody is dead and then they they are alive later on in the morgue. Well, I was working in the intensive care unit and the, and the the patient's daughter came to me in the morning and she said, "You know, will the doctor give me a call because um, the only time I ever hear from the doctor is when my mother has taken a turn for the worse. So I said, of course, you know, being the people pleaser that I am, of course, I will get the doctor to call you today. So I find the doctor. I, I wish I could use his name, but I can't. But anyway, <laughs> just in case, anonymity. And so I went to him and I said, um, Elliot, let's call him Elliot. That wasn't his name. But I'm like, Elliot, can you please call um, the daughter today? She says she only hears from you when when, you're, when the mom, her mom has taken a turn for the worse. And he says, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll get around to it. So I see him a couple hours later. I'm like, Elliot, have you made the call yet? He's like, no, 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 I'll do it in a bit. You know, an hour later, Elliot, can you please make that call? Um, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call her. I'll call her. He's really chill about it. So next thing you know, the mother codes. So she arrests. She's flatline. No heart rate. So we code her. Right? So, she, so we're giving her the atropine, the epi, the calcium, the dextrose, the IV fluid. We're resuscitating her. You know, and anyway, and it's like 20 minutes. And I made him continue the resuscitation even longer because at this point I am crying. And because I, I said to him, Elliot, have you called the daughter as we're bagging her and, you know, pounding on her chest? And he says, no, I never got around to it. I literally started sobbing right there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? I mean, talk about a turn for the worse. And he's like, we got to call the code. You know, she's not, she, it's done, Maureen. It's over. I'm like, no, no, please, you have to save her. Anyway, so I, we call it. I am literally sobbing. I go to the nurse's station to write my notes and 
I'm writing all about it and I'm crying. I'm just thinking how I promised this woman. And I and it's like 15, 20 minutes have gone by. People are coming in for the next shift. And I look up and there's a normal sinus rhythm on the monitor in bed eight. And I walk in there and I'm like, what? Like, did he put himself on, <laughs> on the monitor? And I go back in and there he is at the head of the bed. He's got an Ambu bag. He's bagging her. And he says to me, shh. She's alive. <laughs> Such per- poor perfusion. It took 20 minutes for the medications to kick in. I'm like, fantastic. Here's the phone. You call the daughter. <laughs> uh, so you know what? People do come back to life. It can happen. Never give up. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I love all your emails. I, can't, I couldn't make them up if I tried. <laughs> They're fantastic. Uh, lots of troubles out there, but uh, I want to read a couple of them for you before I go on to my little kissing recommendation because we did have International Kissing Day this week. In case you missed it, it's still not too late to kiss. Um, but the first uh, email that I wanted to write, well, let me just go with the lighter one here. The one where, okay, hey, it seems seems like this shouldn't be a huge problem. But anyway, hey, Maureen, just watch one of your videos. I am 46 years old and my wife is 48. When we met 15 years ago, married for almost 10, she had one child and I had two. We now have seven and the youngest is nine. My wife had a hysterectomy recently. Ever since the surgery, we've had sex maybe eight times in a year. I'm trying my best to keep it all together. I still help with everything around the house. I never go out with friends, don't do drugs, drink very little. Please, I need help, whatever the outcome may be. I want to be with her for the rest of my life, but not if she wants out. Just want to see her happy like she used to be. I beg you, please help me. Of course I'll help you. Uh, you know what? This is, a, a, this is a common thing that I see in my clinical practice. After a hysterectomy, it depends. Of course, he didn't tell me if she had a partial hysterectomy or a total abdominal hysterectomy, in which case the ovaries were taken out as well. And if that was the case, she may have gone straight into surgical menopause, in which case she may have vaginal dryness, significant vaginal dryness. And so... Uh, sex is painful. When the vagina is dry, sex can be painful. Sorry about talking about vaginas, guys, at the end of the show. Uh, but anyway, it's a, you might want to use a personal moisturizer. And um, you could try Fem is something. that's um, It's an over-the-counter um, product that's uh, available at uh, drugstores, particularly London Drugs. Um, it's uh, hyaluronic acid, vitamin E. It's in a it's in a preloaded syringe, which is why I like it, and so you don't have to use your hands. Um, so it's important. And if that doesn't help, then low-dose localized estrogen therapy, which is by prescription, so that may help. So I'm just, this is something couples don't talk about with each other. And also, women may be stressed when they're having a hysterectomy. They've got seven kids underfoot, of course, and she's probably tired too, but... These are some of the contributing factors that likely uh, could be. Of course, I would have to talk to them uh, directly, um, you know, in my clinical practice or online. I do online uh, consults for uh, patients as well. I have somebody I'm talking to tomorrow, and he said to me, I've been told I have uh, borderline personality disorder. (laughs) Uh, And he had a few characteristics of that, a little OCD and a little bit of, you know, needing to resolve things very quickly. So, but you know what? It's hard. Sometimes people will ask me my opinion, you know, they'll give me one line and then 
want help, but you really have to do a sexual health assessment, which is what I do for my patients. Uh, So here's another email. Maureen, I hope you remember me because I remember you all. My husband is having testosterone shots and then a blood test. Last night we had sex that lasted almost two hours. I feel degraded. He throws me around to try and find a way he can keep it up or have any orgasm. I don't think I want to have sex with him anymore. It feels like he's raping me. He is also overweight, smokes, has high blood pressure, and does not exercise. What can you help me with? I cannot stand it anymore. It is putting a wedge in our marriage, and I don't know what to do. I'm not 20 anymore. My options are limited. I see a therapist, and we went together, and he pretty much sees that he has some problems. Also, he has to be in control of everything. He's very critical of me. He does apologize for what he does, but then he keeps it all in. I mean, this is tough, too, but bottom line, this guy probably feels miserable about himself. (laughs) He's got to feel miserable, number one, to begin with, and then miserable about himself. He's likely having erectile dysfunction because he smokes, he has hypertension, he doesn't exercise, and he's overweight. So I can't really, you can help, I can help you by you suggesting that he needs to get some help with that. And I've seen on Twitter recently where they're saying, you know, PDE5 inhibitors are the uh, first-line treatment for erectile dysfunction. No, they're not. Uh, It's actually your um, weight, exercising, getting your blood pressure down, and quitting smoking. So that's what he needs help with. He also probably needs some help with, uh, if he feels he has to be in control of everything, that's another issue that can be problematic in relationships. And maybe he doesn't feel that good about himself. And so maybe what he presents to the world is entirely different than how he feels on the inside. And there's a big gap. And so, you know, you often see that with people who are critical and and in control um, of everything. Uh, And you know what? But these are nice people as well. And of course they apologize. Of course they feel badly. And so you're going to see that pattern, but it doesn't work if you want to have a healthy relationship and a good uh, relationship. So, you know, it's really important that you look after yourself. If you are in a relationship, you must look after yourself. Um, that's it's hard to live with somebody who is unhealthy, who is drinking excessively or or smoking pot. And by the way, the jury's out on the smoking pot before um uh, a workout, uh, it's, it's likely not recommended. You know, there's really very little research around um, marijuana for medical conditions, like even like epilepsy. Um, and, and so some people sig- report that it makes them feel good, makes them feel mentally attuned into the workout and that they are relaxed and, and feel better. But it's really not something that, um, you know, is recommended uh, by the medical community. Um, Of course, another issue we're seeing in medicine, you know, it's tough when you're trying to deliver medical care and uh, you are the, because it can be, it can be depleting actually always, you know, dealing with people's problems and, and making suggestions. I'm like a consultant though. And that's how I look at it. I give them some suggestions, some recommendations. It's up to them to take the, um, uh, the suggestions, but you know what people in medicine and like other fields engineering um, we work long hours and have heavy workloads um, and so the job can be physically and emotionally demanding and um, but you know there 's a report called the Sexual Harassment of Women, Climate Culture, and Consequences in Academic Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine reveals that more than half of women in the fields of science, engineering, and medicine in the u s fifty eight percent of female faculty and staff have experienced sexual harassment if you 've ever experienced sexual harassment, you know exactly what I am talking about. It is so uh, it, it undermines a woman 's mental and physical health, it results in job dissatisfaction, it increases your job stress and reduces your productivity 
productivity and job performance. And you know what? We actually need to be able to recognize what sexual harassment is because some people don't recognize it because it's often a narcissist. There's covert narcissists and there's overt narcissists. It depends on what type you're dealing with, but it's often a narcissist who begins this campaign against you. They often start with something that is, um, you know, very, you know, uh, can be very small. It can, it can actually start out with, it can actually really start out with being incredibly charming and then they can actually perhaps even tear you down. And then the sexual harassment is, you know, they may be talking about, uh, your, your body, your appearance, um, your activities. Um, they may be referring to your relationship. They may be, you know, catching you off guard or, or pointing something out in particular, or, um, you know, just, or making comments about, uh, because you're a woman, you're not able to do, uh, something in particular. Um, and so it's, um, you know, it can be very, uh, damaging. And, um, you know, they can make comments like, um, how did you get that job? What did you sleep with the boss? Kind of a thing. Um, and, but it's a campaign. It's a targeted campaign um, of uh, people, you know, going after you. And we really have to address harassment um, and foster a culture of intolerance to this because nobody would ever think that bullying and sexual harassment occurs in um, the healthcare, but it certainly does. And so let's get on to a, a nicer subject this week. It was International Kissing Day. Kissing can be erotic. There's French kisses, of course, and, um, you know, on l- kissing on the lips. There's oral uh, kissing, oral sex. Uh, and so the roots are contra- controversial, but um, but it's nonetheless, it's important. And it's the, often the first thing to go in a long-term relationship. So I'm suggesting that it's the most intimate act and it may help to deepen your connection if you're looking to do that. So I want to say thank you so much to Andrew for always doing a bang-up job on the show. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. Head on over to my website, new and improved, backtothebedroom.ca. You can follow me on Twitter at back the number two the bedroom and uh, next week we're going to uh, delve into the morgue with some of those stories right Andrew I'll, I'll be uh, well prepared for you uh, thank you so much for listening it's always my pleasure to be here with you I love doing this show and I really appreciate that you're here with me every Sunday night so good night and have a wonderful week thank you so much you've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast listen live at cknw.com the radio player Canada app Tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW.